On this week's show, we'll be continuing our series, Plan, Measure, Perform, with Part 5, Pricing. Welcome to Cracking the Code, the show that helps you overcome the challenges you face every day in contracting and keeps you on the cutting edge of emerging trends and best practices. Are you or someone you know interested in starting a career in the HVAC industry? Well, the EGI Foundation is now accepting applications for its 2020 scholarship program. This is one of the leading programs dedicated to solving the ongoing employee shortage in the trades and increasing the influx of young talent into the workforce. The EGI Foundation Scholarship Program gives up to 20 awards of $2,500 apiece to students pursuing an HVAC degree or certification in an accredited community college, technical or vocational school, or approved technical institute during the 2020 to 2021 academic year. Applications can be submitted now through January 30th, 2020 on the egafoundation.org slash scholarship website. In the last few weeks, we've been talking about the importance of a plan and how to measure your company's activities in order to keep you aligned with that plan. Last week, we had James Leitner come and share with us the importance of knowing our numbers. Some of the most crucial parts of knowing our numbers is how we calculate our pricing, starting with our demand service labor rate. So let's go to the master of all things numbers and much more, Mr. Gary Ellix, as he shares the five steps to calculating your demand service labor rate. First and foremost, what we want to do is we want to understand our cost structures of our base wage. So a lot of questions will be asked about this. Do I use my highest cost technician uh, or do I use a blended average of the technician? And uh, the answer is there is no right answer to that uh, from a fundamental point of view. We don't know who we're dispatching out. So if we have two techs or if we have 18 techs or you're a company that has 300 techs, it doesn't matter. You don't really know who's going to be dispatched to any given call. So the idea that you use a blended average makes probably the most sense, though there are plenty of companies that have used just the highest price technician. And so if they send out a technician that has a lower base wage, the company is winning. And so everybody's pretty comfortable with that principle. Uh, the second thing that we're going to need to do is we're going to need to deal with your efficiency. The efficiency is going to be defined as is the hours that we have billed out versus the hours that we have paid out. Uh, so we've talked about that in previous discussions. Uh, six hours billed, eight hours paid gives me a 75% efficiency ratio. The industry average right here is about 50%. So I would recommend that we start with the industry average at 50%. I will say this. Uh, in all the years of working with independent companies on a consulting basis, one thing that has come up is most companies think their efficiency is higher than it is. And so what ha typically happens is we'll say, well, let's get the last 60 days worth of physical invoices. Let's pull them out. And what we can do is we can put them on a table and we can start sorting them and separating them into billable and non-billable. And uh, usually what I do is just do a basic Excel spreadsheet and I'll start putting in time in, time out versus the actual time that was billed. Uh, we'll collect a few time cards from the guys, match up the time and the payroll for the week. So it's pretty simple in two months. We can get about four or five pay periods and uh, analyze that and say, these are the hours that we paid out for the technician and here's the hours that we actually billed out. And uh, inevitably, the efficiency comes in below 50%. So when I say use 50%, that's the industry average. One thing that really impacts that is our travel time, our diagnostic, our dispatching procedures, and just a general understanding of technician competency and who we're sending out to the type of work. So there's a lot of places where we can go wrong with that, and that's part of the reason efficiency ends up being a little bit lower. Plus things like warranty, callbacks, training, um, those are good uses of time, but they're still inefficient because we're not billing. 
So it's not a question of is inefficiency a good thing or a bad thing. It is a question of understanding what yours is and then applying it to a pricing strategy that makes sense. The third area is the benefit costs. I need to know what your benefit costs are. That's going to be your FICO Fudicuda, your health care, your uh, benefits that you might pay for dental or medical, uh, any vacation time, holiday pay. That is uh, driven by the budgeting process. If you haven't spent any time with the budgeting process uh, in the budgeting section, there is a benefit calculation tool so you can figure that out. For today's purposes, we're going to use 30% because that's the cost of benefits in my particular company. In your particular company, you can use whatever number you want as we go through the examples. And then the fourth area is the KPIs, Key Performance Indicators. For those of you that have been through the benchmarks discussion, that is essentially 22% cost of wage against the actual labor rate. So when I set a street labor rate of X, call it $100, I can be no higher than 22% of that labor rate that I'm billing to the customer. So $22 would be the maximum that I could spend on a wage here against a $100 rate. The problem with that is efficiency. If I'm 50% uh, efficient, that means the $100 rate, really, I only get one hour billed for every two hours that I actually pay. So in other words, $22 will be in relationship to $100, but we may have to have a rate of uh, $200 because we're billing only one out of every two hours. The last issue then is the discounts for service agreements. Um, not necessary for you to do that. It's something that I would recommend. Uh, we obviously want a culture of service agreements. We want to develop more service agreements than uh, the, uh, the other companies in the marketplace to lock down our customers and our customer relationship and marketing model. So what we want to do is we want to make it easy for the technician to sell a service agreement on a crisis demand service call. So by creating a discount, that's actually going to lower the price of the service repair based on the strategy. If we're going to do that, then that means that that $100 rate, if it's discounted, is no longer going to be $22. So what we have to do is we have to gross up that rate. And so I'll take you through the tool. These are all areas that you're going to have to deal with relative to the financial structure of setting your service labor rate. So if you need to get those pieces of information, by all means, hit pause on the video and come back. But we're going to go through the tool right now. So I'm going to take you back into the studio and we're going to pull up the file. Okay, so now that we know the ingredients in your pricing recipe, let's go back to Gary as he demonstrates how to calculate your specific labor rate with the EGIA pricing tool. So if you take a look right now up on my screen, and what you should be seeing on your screen is you should see a service pricing tool. It's under pricing. It says setting service labor rates. And so one of the things we're going to do first, it's a step-by-step -step process. Step one is you're going to enter in the number of technicians and the hours that you have available. Part of this tool's calculation uh, capability is to determine what you can do if you improve your efficiency in terms of your rate. Uh, you may need to uh, be able to raise your rate or you may be able to lower your rate. The second thing that it does is it calculates profitability relative to the service department. So if you notice there's a profit structure here, and I'm just going to expand this a little bit right here. If you, uh, if you set up the profit structure inside of your world, you can see that depending on the rate, we can gain profitability if we're able to hold the rate in the marketplace. So what the hours of the technician does is it creates the opportunity for us to have a conversation about whether or not we actually can actually, no, really actually produce more productivity with the same amount of uh, hours that we have from a technician point of view. So billable hours, more productivity, more efficiency. Step two in this process is going to be pretty simple. We have to put in 
the efficiency ratio and the labor rate. So if you notice, I've, I've laid in $25 here and 50% efficiency against 4,200 hours. The average rate in the industry is probably right around $20 to $30. It depends on what marketplace you're in and it depends on you know, what you decide you want to pay your technicians. Um, I start all of our service technicians at $30 an hour, so I'm going to punch in $30. I'm not suggesting that's what you should pay, but from the standpoint of calculating a rate, um, I would like to incent the technician to be more productive, not less productive. So I'm going to start him at a base wage of 30 and ask him to improve his productivity and his efficiency. You'll notice also just to the right that 30% is established as a cost of goods sold benefits and so that's going to produce a $39 wage plus benefit. What we're going to calculate though is we're just going to calculate what the actual wage is in this case 30 bucks. That 50% ratio is the industry average so what that does is that gives me into step three which is a $60 rate based on the idea that I bill one out of every two hours. I'm going to divide that rate in step four by the key performance indicator, which is 22%. You uh, can reference the benchmarks on the EGIA Contractor University website. If you do reference that, there's a service benchmark section, and that uh, KPI is right there at 22%. And we've uh, also got some material and video work out there that you can reference. So given the fact that uh, that number exists as a key performance indicator we're just going to have to trust in this at this point that that is the correct number and that's based off of our industry norms that gives me a base rate of two hundred and seventy three dollars so that is not the repair uh, on a flat rate but it is actually the rate that we're going to use to uh, apply against a task time in flat rate so if I have a one hour call like a condenser fan motor uh, the condenser fan motor will be a part and it'll have its markup and there'll be tax and there'll be a part retail and then there'll be this $273 per hour so if it's a one hour uh, time task to replace the condenser fan motor we'll end up with a, a $273 uh, bolt-on to the part retail and so that seems like a pretty expensive rate but that's driven by the fact that we're paying $30 an hour and driven by the 50% efficiency so what it really says is that 22% of that 273 is $60. So we're really just establishing a linear relationship that says that our labor rate of 273, if it's 22%, we're, we have a $60 rate, which is ultimately $30 here, and we bill one out of every two hours. So these are all in complete alignment. Of course, the tool will construct that for you if you simply enter in the yellow areas. The next discussion point becomes step six and also step seven. This is where a bit of confusion occurs when we do physical site training work or we do consulting and uh, service management uh, will often get a little bit confused about how the discount is applied. So I've got step six established at a 20% service agreement discount and I have a 50% uptake or conversion rate on the service agreements. Now that number can be changed. If I change that number from 50% to 25%, which is the minimum industry standard, you'll notice that the rate goes down from 303 to 287. And that's because the effect of the service agreement discount is being minimized. In other words, the conversion rate of 25% times 20% means that I'm only giving a 5% discount on average. So 
75% of my customer base is not buying a service agreement. 25% of the customer base is. So that represents a net discount of 5%. Now in my company, we convert about 71% of our club customers over on demand service because we do give a 20% discount and we give a lifetime repair on the service repair if you join the club. So there's an economic incentive, there's a physical incentive, and there's an emotional incentive for a client to join our club. And uh, in this case, the 71% increases the discount rate to 14.2%, which means that the base rate of that company needs to be at $318. The purpose of the 318 is 14% discount is going to occur 71% of the time I'm giving away 20%. And then 29% uh, of the time, I'm giving away nothing. So the base customer pays 318. The service agreement customer will pay 273. And we get to that 273 because we're giving away essentially 14.2% discount. So that is how we're going to create a rate. And the key number in this is the 22%. So I've got this rate of 318. And there's probably some people out there right now that are A, nervous, or B, saying my customers won't pay 318 an hour. Uh, or C, <coughs> you're saying probably if I have to do it at 318, um, I may lose a large portion of my customer base based on the idea that that's a much higher rate. Uh, a couple things to consider. Um, the customer does not know your rate in flat rate. So nobody really knows it's 318 or it's 273 or it's $150. It doesn't matter. The blended rate is organized with the part to create a flat rate repair. Um, second, you can bundle repairs, you can bundle service agreements, and there's a lot of different flat rate systems out there that are very successful models. At the end of the day, a couple of things that you're going to want to do are you're going to want to train your technicians and you're going to want to train your organization to deliver a great value proposition and a great brand promise. Now, if you're doing that and you're giving a customer a 20% discount and I give you a lifetime repair guarantee as long as you maintain a club relationship with me, that incents you to stay in the club each year or multiple years if you want to purchase that from me. But it also says to you, I'm willing to back up my warranty and my, my repair guarantee. And so one of the things that I would like you to write down as a part of this conversation is from a pricing philosophy point of view, you want to price to be aggressive at your customer service practices. The best companies on the planet are not the least expensive companies. The best companies in any industry or in any trade are typically the most expensive or more expensive than their peers. But the one thing that they do better than everyone else is they simply take care of their problems and they take care of their customer relationships. So I'm encouraging you to create a price point that's profitable for you, but I'm also encouraging you to make sure that we train our technicians and we train our team underneath to deliver a great brand promise and the deliverable is there. So a customer is not likely to complain if they're satisfied. Um, I've been to high-end restaurants and low-end restaurants, and it's the same thing. I don't mind paying the extra money for the meal at the restaurant, but if the deliverable isn't there, then I feel worse about that having paid more money for it. So the trick is if it's a low-end cost and there's no deliverable, we really don't expect a lot. So our expectations are set based on the pricing model. So one of the things that we have to do is price so that we can be aggressive at customer service, meaning that we're going to take care of the client pretty much at all costs. And so part of the lifetime guarantee and the repair is we have to be at $318 an hour in order to be able to support the idea that if there's a failure on that condenser fan motor and that person's in our club, we're taking care of it. 
And uh, we're not even going to discuss it. It's just going to happen automatically because that's a value proposition that we believe in. Now, if you're interested in using this pricing tool for yourself, you can sign up for a 30-day free trial by clicking join at the top of this page. Go through all the Gary Ellick's pricing content and use the tool for yourself. You're going to love it. Gary also has content on residential pricing, service agreement pricing, divisor methods, and extended warranty pricing, and much, much more. Now, as you can see, one of the areas that can throw contractors off when establishing their price point is the efficiency that we sell labor capacity. This is also an opportunity to increase profitability by increasing efficiency with regards to selling your labor. Let's go back to Gary Ellix once again as he demonstrates how to calculate your increases in profit as we increase efficiency. So the second conversation I want to have with you on that is that if you don't like 318 and you don't like 50% efficiency, there are methods that you can use to improve your overall uh, efficiency rate, therefore lowering the opportunity for the price point. So let's go back to the tool for just a second. If you look at step 10, there are efficiency ratio improvement calculations that are available for you. I've just got some fictitious numbers loaded into this. Um, that ends up being about a 19% total improvement in step 10. But if you look at dispatching, if you look at training your technicians so that they can be more efficient at uh, fixing the repairs on a more prompt time task basis, if you look at the invoice each day and you begin talking about that with your technicians, standardized truck stocks, having a replenishment system so that we don't have to deal with suppliers and we don't have to you know, have parts runners and we don't get the delays, uh, that gets back to the 80% first time call completion where we finish the repair, we have the part, we get the money, we get collected and we move on. The GPS system, really pretty much everybody has GPS these days, but the ability to dispatch is tied to that. Performance-based pay, uh, that may be somewhat controversial in some companies. Um, all of our businesses are performance-based pay and uh, most of the companies that have been through many of the workshops will go to a performance-based pay system. That isn't necessarily task-based pay. It is a form of incentive pay that's based on productivity. So you can do a reduced hourly wage plus a bonus for performance. You can do a task-based pay. You can do a combination of factors. But the idea that we're creating an incentive for the technician to be aligned directly with our goals, which are quality-oriented, customer service-oriented, and also time task oriented. In other words, if it's one hour, we need to hit that one hour or less. Uh, and then the last thing is just having a simple system so the technicians can actually create a price and work through the paperwork with the customer, email the invoice, electronic type systems. So what's going on here is each one of those reductions in efficiency or improvements in efficiency is a reduction in possible price. So if you look at a 19% change, which would be all of those yellow percentages added up together, you could potentially take your company to $230 as a rate. And so that is a very specific number down at the bottom of the page. The other option is not to take it to $230, but to leave it at, say, you know, 318. If we leave it at 318 and we increase the efficiency by the 19%, this company will gain roughly $70,000 in EBIT. If I don't like 318 and I want that to be a lower rate because that's my personal belief system, I would be okay with that, but you would have to look at some of those efficiency questions and try to improve your rate based on the efficiency.
if, uh, if you're more like me, then you're probably going to ask yourself the question, um, 318 is a rate that I'm willing to accept as long as we're delivering a great value proposition to the client, uh, but I also still want to improve the efficiency, and I'm going to take that $69,000 or $70,000 in profit change, and I'm going to figure out a way to drive some of that to my service manager in compensation, and I'm going to drive some of that to the technicians for productivity bonuses, and the company will keep some of that success. And so we're setting up a culture of prosperity where everybody essentially is winning. Only if the customer wins and the brand promise is, is delivered and we have a great customer service and relationship model out in front. So that ultimately break, brings us to the discussion of, well, how do I price that rate? And that gets us right back to the tool, which is sort of step one through 10. What do I want to pay in terms of a wage? How do I pay better wages? How do I train better? What's my efficiency rate? What's my service agreement discount? What's my net discount? And grossing that rate up, keeping that 22% relationship. I can pay $60 an hour to a technician on average, including a productivity bonus, if I'm billing the 318. That helps me recruit. It helps me train. It helps me incent people and align them for our particular goals. And so what I want from you is I want you to look at your systems, I want you to look at your processes, and I want you to look at your service pricing. And you need to marry that to your pricing philosophy. And if we can do those things, I think you'll find that you'll not only join the 20% EBIT club in the service business, but when we raise our price a little bit, that actually creates a larger discount for our service agreement customer. So in other words, a $500 repair with a 20% discount is $100. If your service agreement's $150, you're only asking the customer for an additional $50 today. You tend to have better uptake on your service agreements, which locks your customers down. So pricing to be aggressive for customer service actually works to incent your technician and incent the customer emotionally and economically to purchase the service agreement, which gets them a lifetime guarantee. So we have a lot of alignment in terms of the philosophy of compensation customer service, but also brand promise. And that's really a place I think I'd like to see most of us get to. You don't have to do it exactly the way I'm describing it. I really want you to understand your service costs and create a service price. Let's get you into the 20% EBIT club. Any questions that you might have on this, you dial right in and make sure you use the EGIA contractor ask the consultant questionnaire. Send that in, the contact system will come to us and we'll be happy to respond to you. So as always, I appreciate your time. I hope you learned a little something today. I hope you enjoy the tools, and we'll see you the next time. Take care. Well, folks, that's the show for today. Remember, it's important you know your numbers, and feel free to jump into a membership trial to get your own pricing calculation tool. We'll see you next week, and we'll all be talking about the load calculation and manual J's. That should be exciting. See you then. Bye-bye for now.